Professor Vijaya Vishwanathan is an engineer and an MBA from Wharton USA, board member of the Agastya Gurukulam, head of the Infinity Foundation India, vice president of Sanskrit Bharati, and the co-author of Snakes of the Ganga. Please welcome Professor Vishwanathan. Rajiv ji briefly talked about critical race theory being brought into India as critical caste theory. And we have already begun to see the effects of this. So there's a big social engineering initiative that has begun in the West as well as in India. An article which I read recently, which was called The Great Feminization of the American University, is, uh, was by a woman. Uh, and, you know, in that article, she says that 75% 75, 75 of Ivy League presidents are female. 58% of students are female in American universities. 60% of master's degrees, you know, uh, are uh, given to women. And 54% of PhD students are also women. While this might seem like progress, this has been an artificial imposition on the American university. She also goes on to say that the campuses have sort of become like psychiatric wards. Uh, relationships are based on victimhood and trauma. And, and you know, more she finds that more females on campus, there is a mass nervous breakdown on these US campuses. It's not to put down women, but when you assemble women based on victimhood and trauma as your criteria for admission, the campuses become like a psychiatric ward. So there is no more, uh, campuses are not about excellence or meritocracy. This is happening in the in the US. Now, can you just imagine what happens if we uh, feminize the military, for example? I would not be for it. Yeah, it should be on excellence. Now, coming to to India, we we have seen the uh, Chief Justice uh, also question the entry criteria for the IITs, wondering if the GE exam should be the uh, or the examination should be the only entry criteria we should look at. Our Supreme Court Justice is taking um, a leaf from what's happening in the US higher education space. In the US, um, for undergraduation, they have made uh, the SAT test optional. So you can submit an SAT uh, exam score or you need not. This has even permeated um, graduate level uh, admissions. In fact, Rajivji briefly mentioned that um, how social scientists are taking over the hard sciences and this is one way. Uh, interestingly, the, in, in the past, in US graduate admission, you have to write a statement of purpose talking about the research you have done, the papers you have written, the seminars you have participated in, the conferences you've attended. And, and recommendations from, you know, from your research uh, guide. These were the criteria that was used for admission. Now what's happening is, apart from some of these aspects, they want everybody to give a statement on diversity. They very clearly ask, so give us a statement on diversity. So here I, you are incentivized to 
talk about your activism. So in order to prepare to get into uh, schools like Harvard and Stanford for higher education, I'm not talking about undergraduate, I'm talking about uh, if you want a PhD in aerospace engineering, you have to talk about your uh, activism in, you know, in, in the area of non-binary and gender fluidity, things like that. So they incentivize youngsters um, to get into activism at an early age because these statements hold a big, uh, you know, they hold a lot of points for you to get into graduate school. Now, the question is, we are all for marginalized and Dalit empowerment and all of that, but how is it done? The, this kind of social engineering essentially says, let's do away with standards. If I'm a Dalit student who's worked really hard uh, and, and I have the credentials, um, it would be insulting. Right, because the system is doing away with standards or lowering standards because they think I'm not good enough. Yeah, so that's number one. Number two is we have quotas. We've had quotas in, in India at the undergraduate level. And then we have continued to have quotas in the graduate school level. These kids graduate. Then we continue to have quotas in, um, you know, in the workplace. The government jobs are based on quotas. So one has to st step back and ask, are quotas really working? Because if I've given you quotas and I've leveled the playing field and still you come out different, then I have to again level the playing field again um, by giving you a quota. And if this goes on in perpetuity, then we haven't really done much. We are just appeasing, uh, you know, uh, the marginalized. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it, this is not really improving the community. And I think we need to be honest and sincere. We really cared about our marginalized. We should go back to the root cause and say, are we preparing our children well? Are we preparing children who are poor, who come from marginalized communities, who don't have networks, who don't have social networks? Are we going back and saying, are we fundamentally preparing them to be successful in life? Or are we just throwing little crumbs here and there for appeasement? Because that's really sad if that's what we're doing. And that's what we all are doing. We are not going back to primary education and saying, let me give the support system, let our schools improve. We, we don't talk about that at all. We're always talking about reparations of some sort. And unfortunately, the, the leaders of the marginalized groups also want this because they feel that if you get some reparation of some sort based on victimhood, they, they come out like, they're a success, but the entire community still remains marginalized. So I think this is something that we need to really think about in, in uh, education and not be you know, taken by these Western ideas of critical race theory, critical caste theory, things like that. Now, the problems with, um, you know, in our new book, we uh, on Varna Jati caste, um, and I'll end with that. We, we talk about, um, you know, caste being weaponized and we, we give rejoinders to Western attacks on caste and even in, you know, Indian leftist attacks on caste. Caste is an easy target to uh, dismantle Hinduism, if you will. But we've never stepped back and asked that for all this talk of diversity that we have in the workplace, everybody's talking about diversity, inclusion, um, at, uh, you know, in, in colleges, they have diversity. But nobody talks about how India has been so diverse. What is the social system that produced so much diversity? Diversity in language and food and cultural practices and clothing. Uh, you know, name it and India has the diversity. So should we not go back and look at 
some of the social structures that actually produce this and learn from it. And if we really need diversity and if we're really shooting for diversity, then we should perhaps go back and look at uh, what India did right to produce this kind of diversity. So with that, I'll hand it over to the channel. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Professor Vishwanathan. The next gentleman is an honorable gentleman who's been called whimsical, he's been called a maverick. But I'd like to think of him as the one who fights lost causes and wins. Uh, with his characteristic uh, trademark wit and humor, he enlivens debates and decimates the opposition. Economists probably call him a lawyer, and lawyers probably don't want to sit across the table from him on the opposite side. Let's all welcome the inimitable Dr. Subramanian Swami. Thank you very much, uh, your distinguished, uh, distinguished uh, Vice Chancellor, the head of the organization of Pragna Bharati. Uh, of course, uh, my friend uh, Rajiv Malhotra and uh, Mr. Vishwanathan. Uh, I'm in a bit of a difficulty because. Uh, I got a PhD from Harvard. <laughs> I was a professor for many years at Harvard. Then I came back and became professor at IIT. <laughs> so I'm a double devil as far as you are concerned. But the topic uh, Rajiv Malhotra has brought is something that we need to digest. I have a certain different uh, view on the details of that. For instance, Harvard has departments which are top class, departments which are in sciences, departments in mathematics, departments in economics. But they have uh, schools like Kennedy School or the softer uh, subjects like anthropology or uh, divinity. So if you go to Harvard, you will not see anybody from these well-established departments who are part of what Rajiv Malhotra is propagating here. I mean, it's, it's explaining to you here. So the, uh, those who are studying in the divinity, in the divinity school on uh, India, they, uh, their audience is uh, the anglicized people of India or people who are ignorant in the United States. And they don't go into great depth. And most of them, uh, have stopped coming to India, I think, now. Probably they're afraid of BJP, I don't know. <laughs> but the fact is that why, why should we pay any attention to them? There is no doubt that in 18, 1853, 
Macaulay came in this in British Parliament said that is the job of the British to ensure that every Indian eats like an Englishman, dresses like an Englishman, speaks only English. He's an Englishman in every respect except in his color, which is different from an Englishman. And a series of Englishmen were produced. Today, when we go to United States as students, or if you look at the Indians who have settled there and their children who have been brought up there, their system is a homogenizing system because they get so many varieties of people. So to create a nation, they homogenize the people in thinking, outlook, dress, everything in the school level itself. So the American Indian, the Indian of Indian origin, the American living there, or this child of an American citizen who has taken citizenship, he is almost like everybody else. He doesn't want to be different. Now, can that be replicated in India? That's a very tough question. I agree with the Raji Malhotra that Marxism is dead. Soviet Union broken to 16 countries. Indians still have not realized that Soviet Union has broken up because I get all these Twitters saying, oh, Russia stood up with us in 1971. There was no Russia in 1971. But people go on saying Russia stood with us in 1971. Today's Russia is not communist, it's just a dictatorship. It's a totally different Russia from Soviet Union. It's not that the Soviet Union uh, has contracted, it's not, it's, there's no Soviet Union. Ukraine was part of Soviet Union. Today it's not part of Soviet Union. And they are fighting the Russians, or the Russians are imposing themselves on them trying to grab their territory. There's no communism involved in it. There's no ideology in it. So therefore, even China, which is uh, Mao Zedong wanted it to be a purist communist country. Today, the economy is a market economy. Deng Xiaoping made sure that it became a market economy so that it can grow faster because everywhere, Comparisons are showing that communism cannot produce economic growth, even though the ideology is economic, haves and have-nots and so on. But when you make comparisons between equals, you find a very big difference between a communist country and a market economy. East Germany versus West Germany. There's no East and West Germany anymore. They have become one country. But if you compare East Germany and West Germany till 1992, when the merger took place, you find that West Germany was far ahead of, uh, of East Germany. Both were the same country under Hitler and before. And they were equally destroyed, both East and West Germany, in World War II. World War II. But West Germany adopted market economy and democracy. And East Germany adopted communism and, and uh, 
controlled economy. And the result was there to see. Even today, if you go there, you'll see the result. North Korea, South Korea, same thing. South Korea is far ahead. It adopted democracy. It adopted market economy. It's doing much better than North Korea. China also before and China now. Except the dictatorship remains the same, but the system has changed. And China has done much better than it did under Mao Zedong. So the, uh, the, the, the challenge today is not the economic system we are following. We are not following it properly. That is true. And I speak openly on it. People say that, how can you criticize your prime minister like this? I said, we are a democracy still. If he's making a policy mistake, I'm not personally, I know him personally since 1972. But his policies, I think, will not lead to the results that he wants. But the fact of the matter is, in other countries, democracy is a little more developed. Churchill, for example, was a cabinet minister of Chamberlain. And Chamberlain said, no, we, Britain must befriend Hitler and not fight with him to save war. Churchill kept on saying, as a minister, that is stupid. It was a cabinet decision to, uh, for Britain to have a peace, peace treaty with Hitler, where uh, Churchill was outvoted. But Churchill nevertheless publicly took a stand. And in the end, of course, he was criticized, newspapers criticized him and so on. But in the end, he was vindicated and Chamberlain had to go. And Churchill had to become prime minister. I'm not comparing that with my situation. You know, we have a different system. So I want you to know, understand, we have come a long way from what Macaulay said and what we are today. We must do much more. First of all, we must know our history. Most of us don't know our history. The kinds of inventions we had. Today, a secret research is going on in the United States, which you do not know about, where they are examining whether in the future aeroplanes can fly with mercury as the fuel. Now, where did they get this idea? We have an ancient document called Bimana Shastra, in which it states, because people ask me, what is this, Lord Rama flew back to Ayodhya on Pushpak Viman? Did they have a, is this an imagination? Even by imagination, it's a big thing, but so long ago, we don't know how long ago it is, but I would say that it is not before 7,000 BC. That means 7,000 plus 2,000 you had, it's been 9,000 years ago, Rama was here at least. He could have been even earlier. So therefore, uh, the issue became, how did the Indians know this? Indians knew surgery, Indians knew calculus. You know that Bhaskar Acharya discovered calculus. He sent it to Leibniz in uh, Germany. 
and Germany and Leibniz passed it off as his own and sent it to Newton. And Newton then passed it off as his and all the world we think that calculus was provided to us by the uh, British. And the Americans picked it up. So if you go today, Americans are studying all our previous ancient literature. We are not to find out whether any clues are there for the future. Same thing goes today. There's a lot of Sanskrit being taught in NASA. Why would NASA learn Sanskrit? I think we all should learn Sanskrit. Sanskrit should be made a compulsory language in my opinion. But why in America it is compulsory for a group of scientists in NASA to do it? Because they have published in their journal of artificial intelligence that there will come a time when we will have to talk to the computer and you have to type into the computer all the knowledge we have and collect it and then the computer makes an analysis and gives you an answer. And the only language, and this is there in the Journal of Artificial Intelligence of NASA, which says that we have come to the conclusion that the only language which is suitable for a computer to understand and re register the knowledge is Sanskrit. Because Sanskrit, if you type it, whatever the phonetics is the same as what you, uh, you type. In America, if in English, if you type P-U-T, uh, and then you speak uh, P-U-T, it's put. But if you write B-U-T, it is but. Two different, uh, you know, the same kind of spelling, but so the com computer will get confused. After examining all over, all, all, all the languages, NASA came to the conclusion that the future of storing knowledge in a computer, which is essential for robots and so on, is Sanskrit and Sanskrit should be learned. Go to Germany, people are learning Sanskrit in a big way. If you go to the Google and type St. James School, London, one of the most prestigious schools, all white, and there, in Google, it is quotes the principles uh, when he's asked a question, why is it that you require children of the ages of 6 to 11 to recite Sanskrit shlokas in the morning? And he said, because I'm convinced that if I can make our children recite certain Sanskrit shlokas of the ages between 6 and 11, their brain development will be much better than any other children that we have. And if you know, Charles was recently crowned. And a, but, and a group of children came from this very school and they recited Sanskrit shlokas. Uh, I, I think I, most people must have missed it because it was a very boring thing otherwise to watch. So they probably you no know, one paid attention, nor our media paid attention. But if you go back and you're able to recall that, you find that the uh, British, uh, the British monarch to be had to be uh, there had to be a Sanskrit shloka recited, for and he made it as part of the program. So you can go on now. You go today. 
yoga is accepted as theirs. Now the Americans are saying yoga we invented and the Indians stole it or something like that. I'm not surprised. Yoga, Ayurveda, Pranayama. So many things have now become very commonplace. So I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is Raji Maruta is very right. A lot of people are worried about this. And they are, there's a counter move. And that counter move is how to put you into, the, into their track. And even if they take something from you, they will make it as their own. And in, in, in that context, you have to know your past. We don't know our past. Aryan, Dravidian, utter nonsense. Would I be right in saying that, uh, that it is utter nonsense? Uh, Ajay Malhotra, of course, you not agree? Of course, of course. Uh, now, in fact, I learned it from him, so he can't change his stand now. <laughs> so the, uh, the Aryan, Dravidian, what nonsense is this? No, South people are more dark than North people. Of course, the sun is directly, in, as you get closer and closer to the equator, the sun attacks you. Skin color has got nothing to do with race. It's just pigmentation. So you go up uh, to Kashmir, there the sun is on an angle. So skin color has got nothing to do with race. And this is established in genetics. But if the uh, genetics is taken of all, all the Indians, which has been done by various studies, studies in, in uh, with the University of Cambridge uh, Journal has published it, Houston has published it, Mysore University has also published it, that the DNA of all Indians is the same. Of course, there are fringes. But they, they are just microscopic. But the broad mass of India, whether you are North Indian or South Indian, East Indian or West Indian, your DNA is the same. You are one people. The new American theology is that the Brahmins are different. And the Shudras are different. And Shirulkas actually came from Africa. All kinds of this nonsense is being spread. The target is Brahmin because they are smaller in numbers and perhaps a little more peaceful than the other castes, I think. I'm, I'm not, I mean, people think I'm a Brahmin. I mean, I can't deny that because my mother says I'm a Brahmin. My father says I'm a Brahmin. But I'm, a, I'm a ready to fight with anybody. I'm not a typical Brahmin. So they, who is a Brahmin? Go to Bhagavad Gita, chapter 4 and chapter 12. And go through the shlokas you'll find on the formation of the caste, uh, the Varna system. There is a difference between caste, that is Jati and Varna. Jati is for this marriage and so on. You shouldn't have the same blood group as another, uh, the woman you're going to marry because that will produce imbeciles. So there, we have a very, you know, you can't marry your uncle's, uh, I mean, uh, your, uh, my, your, your daughter cannot marry your 
your brother uh, or your cousin brother you know so many other rules we have those are all part of jati that is got to do with blood and uh, that's a separate thing but varna this varna is got nothing to do with birth lord krishna says it in two particular chapters very clearly to arjuna that this is according to your guna if you are a gyani tyagi sahasi you are a brahmin are there examples of course was a valmiki uh, born with a father who was a brahmin and mother was a brahmin no vishwamitra was born in a kshatriya family but he is rishi of rishis you see so you can i same thing with the uh, um i many others uh i can give you a long list of all rishis who are not born where the father and mother were recognized as brahmins rajan if you are a gyani if you are a tyagi which means you don't you, you beg for your food i mean you don't really beg for your food you go you are like a politician you go put your hand out and everybody puts it of course today for a politician they'll do it out of fear but in those days they would do it out of love so that is the breakdown that he has given if you are a warrior you are a kshatriya if you are a person who produces wealth for the country you are a vaishya if you do agriculture you are a you are shudra and the so called untouchables were not automatically their children didn't become untouchables valmiki is an example he became a maharishi he wrote the you know he wrote the ramayan but his parents were scheduled caste or what we call as parayas you see so therefore we are one people we have been recognized as one people and in came the british and they created all this to divide you make you to fight each other and become weak and we fell for it the, i would therefore say that the first thing you should know when he says i he has already completely said what his books are about and they are very worth reading in it's not easy reading because there are 1000 pages each of them they are big ones but they are very very informative but don't use it in the exam because even today we are following the old uh, uh, old books and that may not help you in the exam because he's telling you something he's in what i would call as a revolutionary in that sense that he makes you think and that's why i everywhere he calls ask me to come he doesn't ask me very often but he does sometimes ask me and uh, i feel a great pleasure to come here and speak about it so let me then therefore say we are all one people please try to get it men and women the equality of men and women ours is the only so by the way by the way this religion that we call as hinduism is the longest surviving our uh, culture our uh, heritage is the longest serving in the world there are 45 uh, um, uh, cultures that were there which have been recorded by the unesco 44 have disappeared the pharaohs have disappeared the greeks have disappeared the mesopotamians have disappeared 
but not the Indian culture that has not disappeared. It's the only one. Because it goes on renewing itself. There are aspects which can be modified. There are aspects which cannot be modified. So we call Shruti means the Vedas. Vedas can't be modified. You have to accept it as what God told you. But your Shastras, they can be modified. Manu Shastra, everybody quotes Manu Shastra. But then there is after that Yajnavalkya Shastra. After that, there's Mitakshara Shastra. Now we have the Constitution of India, which can also be called a Shastra, which lays down the rules of interpersonal behavior. So, therefore, this quotation, no, we, we, we are women were treated like this, and this is what Ma, uh, Manu said, and so on. All these are absolutely irrelevant. Question is, what is necessary for now? It's part of Shastra, it can be changed. As far as women is concerned, I tell people that uh, when Brahma decided to distribute the portfolios for men, uh, for women, he gave Saraswati education, Lakshmi finance, and Durga as defense. But he didn't give anybody, any male god, anything. So, some uh, it was raised with. Uh, Brahma. So he gave to uh, he gave uh, what is called as information and broadcasting to Narad Muni, <laughs> who just went around. You know, three of the most important portfolios of a government have gone to women. When the men failed to finish off an asura. They all fell, went and fell at the feet of Durga, who took the form of Kali and finished the Asura. So, this is our tradition that is not being taught. Oh, women, we have always ill treated them. This is what here all happened in the last thousand years. But our tradition is not that. So, all these foreigners who come here. They cannot do anything in this country if we are ourselves knowledgeable about our past and what needs to be amended, what can be amended. All this, if you know, then there's nothing they can do. I won't be worried about them. I taught uh, for years and years over a spread over a period of 50 years. I taught at Harvard. One day, all these, uh, um, all these uh, soft departments like um, uh, uh, astrology, you know, what is it, um, uh, um, uh, of, of the um, uh, philosophy, that kind of thing. These departments got together and said, Swami has written, given a, uh, written an article in a newspaper in Delhi, and in Bombay, excuse me. Well, in those days, it was, I think is now that paper is stopped saying that Muslims and Hindus have the same DNA and we created Pakistan for those Muslims who didn't want to live with us. So at least those who live with us should have the accept that we are one people. And uh, that's all I said. 
He said, this is created mass, uh, you know, uh, it created as created a mass upsurge in India. One case was filed against me in, in, a, in a remote part of Assam called Karim Nagar uh, or Karim Ganj. And that one case, I went took it to the uh, Assam High Court in Guwahati and got it quashed. There was no other reaction. And what did I say? But they didn't want me to continue teaching at Harvard because of this reason. I myself said, I don't want to come. If this is what Harvard has come to, but it was not the department of economics. They pleaded with me not to take this seriously. But I did plead, I, I did take it seriously. And that's, that fact is there that this nationalism that I'm putting across to you is to the dislike of those of you who want to study India and get finances to put India down. How many of them get money from Pakistan? That is something to be investigated. Our government should be doing it, but they are all our embassies are busy with the prime minister coming and going and some other minister coming and going. There was no time to devote energy to that. The American embassy in Delhi would be examining who's against America and they will be making dossiers about them. So it is this which needs to be done. So the first thing, get your history correctly. And our, histor our historical attitudes also correctly. Relation between men and women, father and son, mother and daughter, all these relationships have already been written in ex ex to make you Indian, will make you a civilization which has survived the longest. And then you go on to see how I can add to it. I would suggest to all of you, learn Sanskrit on your spare time. It's very easy to learn. People make it out, oh, it's a very difficult language. It's not a difficult language at all. And every language of India has Sanskrit words in it. How many words does the Tamil, where there's maximum opposition to Sanskrit, Tamil has 40% words in common with Sanskrit. Why I say common? Because once I had an argument with Karnanidhi. And I said, you know, Sanskrit, he said Sanskrit and all is foreign for us. We, we are the original people and Tamil is the original language. I said, but how did these 40% words come? He said, ah, what 40%? I said, your name is Karuna Nidhi. Karuna is Sanskrit, Nidhi is Sanskrit. <laughs> I said, when you talk in elections about your symbol, you say Chinnam. Chin is Sanskrit. You put Chinnam. And what is it? Chinnam Udayan Suryan. That's what you say in Tamil. That means the rising sun, which is their symbol. In Tamil, it is Udayan Suryan. In Sanskrit, it is Uday Surya. So I gave him, I said, do you want me to give you more examples? He said, no, no, this is all enough for me. And after that, he never raised this issue with me. So, I am saying today, go to any language. Your Telugu here, it has much higher percentage of Sanskrit words in it. Malayalam has almost 80% words in Sanskrit. So is Bengali. And our scripts are also very similar. I mean, they can be made one. Devanagari script, which the Sanskrit uses, is very similar to, uh, to Tamil script. 
Tamil, if you write Ka, you write like this. And in Devanagari, you will also write more or less like that. If you want to say Ki, you put a matra. In Tamil also, you put a matra. You want to say Ku, you put a matra below. In Tamil also, you put a matra below. Now, how is this Tamil different from Sanskrit? For which they have, you know, run a, a agitation. So this oneness of India has to be inculcated. And all these so-called caste barriers or Savarna barriers, they should be forgotten. You go by Gita. Make it as a, in what profession? If you are a professor, you are a Brahmin. If you are a military man, you are a Kshatriya. Like that, you can, you don't need it at all because your DNA is the same. You are one people. And that has to be done. At the moment we do that, I don't think you have to worry about any foreigner. Maybe we'll convert them and send it back and they may become Hindus. <laughs> On May 26, uh, 2009, the editor of uh, Newsweek, Newsweek is an American magazine, a well-known American magazine. She wrote an edit article. And the headline was, now we are all Hindus. So uh, everyone is naturally surprised. What did she say? She said, every time we run into a problem, we think about what the Hindus thought. We know that is the scientific way out. She talked about all the burials that go on. She's so much expense, so much land is taken away. What is wrong with what the Hindus do, which is burn their bodies? They say the soul is gone. So the body is just a piece of cloth, like a piece of cloth. So we should adopt that to save land and not have to spend so much uh, on, on, uh, on the burial ceremony. And then you have to go and, you know, every once a week or something, to go and see that the, uh, the, the grave is in, uh, in good shape. So all these things, you know, they, she goes on giving examples. You should go and just go to Google, you'll get it. Uh, her name was Miller. Uh, first name I forget, but she was the editor of Newsweek, 2009, May 26th. She, she wrote the headline, now we are all Hindus. And you are finding that increasingly with the following that people like Shishi Ravi Shankar, and others are getting in, in the United States. You don't have to leave Christianity to learn the uh, practical aspects of Hindus. So with this, this pride and with this unity, you can meet this challenge that is coming. Yes, uh, Marxism has failed. And I always used to be confused between Groucho Marx and Karl Marx. Uh, because Groucho Marx was a, was a comedian and he was known as the, the three comedians called Marx Brothers. So it has become almost as laughable. What is it that uh, Marx said? Everything Marx said I can mathematically prove is contradictory. He says that uh, wages and, and, uh, and prices and uh, profits will combine at the same time. It's impossible. Either one goes up and the other goes down or the other way around. So, Marx is dead anyway. China has given it up. There's no Soviet Union. There's no Marx anywhere. Uh, so, Marx is over. So, the left wing now is conjuring up this woke and wokeism. 
and is targeting whom? Those who are meritorious people. They said merit itself is a uh, is poison, and they are targeting people with merit, and therefore they want to make the society a bunch of people who will be workers of of the society. So you have to be very careful. And uh, and see that these things don't. Yes, there's much to learn. I enjoyed my stay at Harvard in the Department of Economics, not in in Kennedy Center or uh, or some other silly place in the Harvard campus, which is meant for idiots coming from India. So uh, to get into the Department of Economics and these Nobel laureates, top I was. Joint author with Paul Samuelson, who is the greatest economist of the 20th century, and um, Simon Kuznets, another Nobel laureate. We, are, I was their student and learned a lot, and it's given me so much knowledge about uh, of, of knowledge about economics that uh, I'm never able to get to be finance minister because the prime minister knows I won't listen to him. <laughs> that is the problem. So, uh, in this attitude of confidence you should have when you face the West. They can try anything, but they cannot overcome you if you are, if you know what is your uh, strength and you know your heritage. Even in economics, there was a, uh, a political leader who uh, unfortunately was killed, assassinated called Dindyal Upadhyay, he had got the right idea which is there in the Gita. He said, why is it that the Brahmin class that was determined had to be poor? Because he said there are four things in, in society, uh, knowledge, wealth, weapons, and uh, money. And to decentralize, these had to be separated. So therefore, in, in pursuit of, if you are in pursuit of, you know, of wealth, that is not the highest pursuit. The highest pursuit is pursuing knowledge. The second highest pursuit is defending the country. And finally, doing agriculture is the last. So this uh, division tells you that all of you are in a position to choose what you want to be. And uh, there's no inferior superior, but it is just a classification. And that classification can vary from family to family, birth to birth. That, uh, with that kind of oneness, uh, 1.4 uh, billion people. Now we have overtaken China, by the way, since yesterday. Um, but because China is all this one child per family and all they adopted from the West and made them a complete mess of themselves. Now they are trying to rechange re it, but it's not going to be easy. Whereas in India, we have, we have a declining birth rate. The number of ch children per family is going down. And according to the economic, uh, uh, economic things, even when you see, when people say, no, no, Muslims have more children than uh, Hindus, and that's because the Muslim average per capita income is lower than that of the Hindu per capita income. If you look at the Kerala, a Muslim and compare it to the UP Muslim, yes, there's a big difference. Or if you call it, compare a uh, Kerala Muslim to 
Hindu of UP, you will find that you know the where the areas are poorer, the number of children produces larger, and there are obvious reasons because they go to work without any education, and they do menial work and so on. So uh, that's how they put together money to survive. So uh, all these myths that have been spread about about us has to be examined very carefully. And from that point of view, I very strongly suggest that you read this um, a snake, in, a snake in the Ganges, a snake in Ganga or in the Ganges? Yeah, a snake in the Ganga. And see the whole um, thing so that you are alert to the future. Otherwise, you have nothing to worry. Thank you very much.